This is Smart Choices for a Happier Family Life with Pamela Chambers, podcast number seven. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smart Choices for a Happier Life, where it's a community of people working together for social good. Let's share love, peace, and let's talk. Here's your host, Pamela Chambers. Good morning, everybody. It's beautiful here in Scottsdale, Arizona, going to be 80 degrees. Well, Christmas is just around the corner, and people will be getting some technology presents, some iPhones, smartphones, you name it. A lot of technology gifts may be under the tree this year. So today, we have Janelle Burley Hoffman on our show. She is the author of iRules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up. Janelle is a mother of five children. And her children were the inspiration behind this book. She is a speaker and consultant on topics like technology, media, health, relationships, and personal growth. So, according to a paper published in the medical journal Pediatrics, children and teens spend more time using various media than they do any other activity except sleeping. So, how perfect is this for our show today? She is a blogger, Janelle is a blogger for Huffington Post and holds workshops and discussion groups across the country on living a tech-positive life. So please welcome Janelle Burley Hoffman. Well, Janelle, it's so good to have you on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so perfect because Christmas is around the corner. And people will be people will be buying probably some iPhones and cell phones. And, Definitely, uh, it's the season for it. <laughs> exactly. So, tell me about your book, I Rolls. What was your inspiration? Well, two years ago, at this very time, um, my husband and I decided to get our oldest son his very first smartphone. He hadn't had any cell phone or any devices that were his very own prior to that. But we decided that the timing was right just for a variety of reasons. And with that, I wrote him an 18-point contract to outline my exact expectations for how I wanted him to use the technology. Now, did you post that at all? And it, did it get a, go viral or what happened? So I, I wrote the contract. And it, it, I mean, I consider it, I call it the contract now, but uh, it was really this um, love letter to my son in that if you if you really look at the 18 points in the contract and the paragraphs that surround those 18 points, I, I see it as my hopes and wishes for him as a child with or without technology. So it's mixed with these really tactile strategies for when I wanted him to turn it off and how I wanted him, you know, to behave in public with it, but also some bigger ideas like um, keep your eyes up, see the world happening around you. So it was, it was this mix. And so I gave my son's name is Gregory and I gave him the contract and, you know, he read through it and my husband was sitting there with us and, you know, Gregory just turned to me and he said, Hey mom, you're really good at this. Like you didn't leave anything out, you know, and we had a laugh and, at the time, I felt like the contract was a real reflection of our family and a reflection of my relationship with my son and my parenting style. So I went ahead and shared it with some friends and family and some people in the community that I worked with, some families that I served as a parent educator and on my own website. And, and people were saying, oh, Janelle, you know, you should really put this up on your Huffington Post, Post blog. This is 
really timely, really relevant. I thought, geez, I couldn't really understand why anybody would find this very private conversation with Gregory and I to be relevant in their own lives. I just didn't see that yet. And I shared it with my editor at, at the Huffington Post, and she just really was enthusiastic about it. This is, you know, again, poignant and genuine. I think we need to move forward with it. I think a lot of people are going to like this. And then, so I did. And the very next day, Good Morning America was in my kitchen featuring it. <laughs> so it really, from there, just went absolutely viral and translated into, you know, dozens of languages and viewed and shared so much. I still, two years later, get emails from people every day that are just reading it, coming across it for the first time. And so it, it transformed my work into this, this greater platform of writing and speaking about technology because um, I'm living it. I'm a practitioner. I have five children, ages 6, 8, 10, 12, and now 15. And so I really do see in my professional life, but also in my personal life, how the technology is, is impacting families. Oh, it's huge. And I see it in my practice. I'm a mental health practitioner. And I see how much the technology can interfere in the family and conflict can occur. So it can be uh, a big issue. I think that was really the core behind the contract was I never wanted to introduce something. And in this case, we'll talk about the smartphone. I didn't want to introduce something into our lives that was going to cause more struggle. You know, I think raising a family is is challenging enough and trying to find time to be together with all of, you know, the activities kids are involved in and, you know, parents' commitment to their work. Just, just I didn't want to bring more struggle into it. And I think the contract really reflected that, that I was trying to be deliberate and carve out spaces in advance. You know, that idea of being proactive instead of reactive and carve out some space where the technology wasn't this you know, bone of contention, this constant, you know, I take it away, I give it back, I take it away, I give it back, or nagging and any of that, that it was, I was setting my child up to be successful with the technology. Yeah, and I wanted to kind of go through some of the rules and some of the rules that I find that can create problems sometimes in families and also in my office that I hear on a regular basis. (laughs) And one of them is rule number two, I will always know the password, not coming from a place of fear, but a place of guidance. You know, and I have clients that do know their children's password, and it can be a real area of conflict. Absolutely. I think when we talk about privacy or passwords or any of those things, it becomes very personal and very emotional. And I love the analogy of when we were all growing up, we might have at one time or another put a keep out sign on our bedroom door, but our parents were not locked out indefinitely. That this was, we were always accessible. Our bedrooms were always accessible, you know, um, phone, landline conversation, somebody could, you know, pick up and say it's time to hang up. You know, they knew what time you were going to bed because you had to be off the family phone. There were ways that our parents knew what was going on without necessarily needing to spy on us. So if we bring that sense of how are my kids using the technology? Who are they interacting with? What do they like about it? When we have that sense and we use that to tech monitor, it doesn't become this monstrous invasion of privacy and trying to control every minute. I think a lot of the dialogue I monitor in my own house is very basic, very standard dialogue. A lot of it, I don't necessarily need to hear every bit of a teenage conversation. That's not my interest. But again, having a sense of what's going on on the technology feels more important than knowing exactly every word that's been said. And with that, 
you know, there are different levels where that might be a very typical use, but some of our children are not using it typically. And so we're going to need to tech monitor in different ways. And I think it's really important to differentiate the different levels of tech monitoring based on the needs and behaviors of our children. Yes, I would agree. And privacy is such a big part of the teen years that it can be a real uh, power struggle. But I do feel if the child knows that mom can check it at any time, he will be more cautious on what's said and he will be monitoring it in a different way. And at the, you know, I think there's always going to be ways around it. If kids want to say something without their parents finding out, they will find a way. And, <laughs> and so, and so it, it, that's absolutely age appropriate. That's typical. But I think if we are in this relationship, in this culture, in our own homes, where conversation is part of it and understanding our motivations, like why I want a tech monitor and I have your best interest in mind, and also understanding that you know, this, this fluency where a parent and child understands this, I know how it works, I know why you're interested in it, you know, I'm here for you. If, if you need something, if you find yourself in a situation, you know, you can always come to me. And so when we, when we stop using the technology in isolation and when we start having this out in the open dialogue and mutual understanding of how the technology works and how it's in our lives, I think, I think there's just, it becomes more of a healthy relationship around the, the tech monitoring and the I know what's going on dialogue. Right, and um, I think it's really important for parents to, to keep in touch on what technology their children are using because, you know, we have a lot of times we have no idea all the new technology out there like Snapchat and that kind of thing. So it's good to ask your children questions, you know, what is this app and why do you want it and what's going on with it? Absolutely. I think the more curious we can get with our children, first of all, the more information we get. A lot of times we might read something in the headlines like Snapchat is for sexting and we get this impression that's exclusively that. And we don't really apply our own children's behaviors to that. So I think sometimes, you know, a lot of the teenagers that I work with outside of my own home that I live with, they'll say, oh, um, Snapchat is for sending the ugliest selfie possible to all of your best friends. So if we don't ask those questions, we don't necessarily get that information and we parent from fear instead of parent from understanding. Exactly. Ask, ask, ask questions. Now we'll go back to the sexting thing because a lot of parents worry about that sort of thing, which I think it is scary, you know, because we can control, control our children, but we can't control what other people do. And, you know, sexting can happen to our child. And I don't think children realize that if they send na naked pictures of themselves or a friend, that it's actually classified as child pornography. Again, I think we can't educate our kids enough on this. First of all, it's new, right? It's new for all of us, even as adults. We're trailblazing this as we parent it because there's no model for how this went for us. We, have, we bring none of our own experiences as children to it or as teenagers. So I think we also need to say to our kids, we're learning this right along with you. So let's kind of be in this together. If we take that approach, I think we have a lot, our, our relationship around the technology becomes a lot more successful. And there are certainly a lot of things that we can be scared or feel overwhelmed by, both as children, teenagers, and as adults. And so I think it's really important that when we read something about sexting, whether it's, you know, again, in the media or we hear a story that we engage in dialogue with our kids about it. And it's a great opportunity to teach our kids when it doesn't directly involve our kids, 
because we're laying that foundation up. You know, did you hear the story? Did you see what happened? You know, what does it look, where did the person go wrong? And did you know the consequence of sharing a picture is distribution of child pornography? Again, this is a proactive conversation that we're, we're educating our kids, but it's not in the, this is the only way and this is the right way. It's like, hey, let's learn about what's going on because this is what I heard. Right. Talking about it together. Yes. And one of the other big points about cell phones that comes up often is cyberbullying. And I know um, you had quoted, you know, according to DoSomething.org, 81% of young people think that cyberbullying is easier to get away with than bullying in person. And only 10% of the victims will turn to a parent or a trusted adult for help. So why don't you think they go for help when this happens? Again, I think it comes back to the isolation. And technology is the way it is right now. It's portable. It's basically a computer that fits in your pocket, and you can bring it with you anywhere you go. So it's very easy to feel alone in using the technology for the people doing the bullying and the victim. I think that can go both ways, that we kind of get caught up in it. We're, we're looking at our phones a lot. We're receiving it a lot. And so I think, again, as much as we can saying to our kids, we can handle this. You might be embarrassed by something someone said, or maybe you use language in response to someone bullying you that you think you might be in trouble for, but come to me as soon as something feels uncomfortable, even before it's legally classified as cyberbullying. You know, if, if someone says they don't like your shoes, you can talk to me about that because there's a difference between having your feelings hurt and needing to navigate those feelings and then, you know, harassment or bullying, but let's talk about it when it's just one comment. Because I can be your ally, I can help you before the problem becomes too big. And I think encouraging parents to, to hang in there with their kids because their kids might come to them with something that is really uncomfortable. And instead of saying, oh my goodness, how did this happen? And really losing their mind saying, okay, let's figure out where we're going to proceed, how we want to handle this before it's, it crosses over into something that needs immediate intervention because it's a safety issue. Exactly. You know, and I think one of the things that children most often tell me in my office is that they feel really ashamed that they're caught up in this bullying situation. So they're embarrassed and they want to please their parents. So they don't want to tell their parents. And I think it's important for parents to relay, relay to their children that, hey, don't be ashamed. This is something we can work through together. Just like you pointed out, you know, talk about it, talk about it. Yeah. And I think you know, as parents, it's our job to be, have this certain level of engagement and to be in tune to our kids. So maybe they don't come right out. I mean, it's often idealistic to think that we'll be prepared to hear a story and our children will be prepared to tell us at the exact same time where we have time to really have that intimate dialogue. I think we have to work very hard to get that scenario. But what we can do is, is be mindful and observant of our children's behaviors. So maybe all of a sudden our child is using the technology a little more. Their head's down on their phone. You're noticing like physical behaviors of your child. They're keeping the phone close by. They don't leave it on the counter casually like they might before. Or maybe there's a door slam or maybe a certain level of withdrawing, not hungry, just one night. And so we're paying attention to those other cues as well as the actual, you know, tech monitoring or, you know, basis and understanding for conversation. And we're using those other cues with our level of engagement to prompt our kids to say, is everything going on? I, I noticed that you've been on your phone a lot tonight. Is there anything you want to talk about? 
because we do need to be the people, the adults in the conversation, the ones who build the bridge, because it's much harder, exactly what you're saying, for kids to have the courage to come to their parents, and we need to be the ones checking in with our kids and, and being the leaders and the model in that. Right, and I really like when you said pay attention to the behavioral cues, because if kids aren't going to talk about it, they'll show you in ways with their behavior. So paying attention to, to that is really crucial. Absolutely. I mean, I think we... We all remember what it's like to parent a baby or a toddler. And, you know, we always say that their behavior is trying to tell us something. Because maybe then when they were 18 months or two, they didn't have the language yet. But they certainly could have a really nice meltdown that got the point across that I'm hungry, I'm tired, you know, I, I feel frustrated, my teeth are coming in, any of those things. And if we apply that to our tweens and teens, that their behavior is trying to tell us something, we can really get a lot of information if we're tuned in. Exactly. And I want to go over some of these, some of my, some good rules here. All of them are great rules, by the way, but Thank rule, you. <laughs> rule number four, you know, hand the phone to one of your parents promptly at 7.30 p.m. every school night. Yay. That is so good because kids get phone calls in the middle of the night. Text messages are sneaking out at night. I hear about it in my office all the time. I think this is really important. First of all, I was motivated to write this point because I had five children in eight years and I lost a lot of sleep. And so I value sleep almost more than anything else at this point in my life. So I really wanted to preserve it. I didn't want, I wanted my children and their growing brains, and I know it's good for healthy development to get proper sleep. And I also know as a tech user how easy it is to just pick up that phone and check that last email or get up to use the bathroom and you know what, I'll just check my Facebook. How, how easy it is for adults and the adult brain to default to the habit of looking at their phone. So what does that feel like for, for a teenager or a tween where kind of that, that constant approval or constant connection to everybody you know, even in the wee hours of the night, feels vital and critical? So I felt like having this rule where it's just a way, and I made that decision for my kids to say, I'm doing you a favor and making it a non-option. That's how important protecting sleep was and protecting periods of time where our kids can really be off and be away from the technology felt critical to me, and it, and it still does. It is critical. And then I love rule number five, it does not go to school with you. <laughs> I have 11-year-old twins. And I was on some, you know, texting list and I'd be getting text messages from their friends and the messages are right during school. And I'm like, yes. what's going on? They're supposed to be in school. I, I think this is, this is also the great challenge for any educators or administrators or teachers right now because a lot of the schools are becoming very fluid with their rules. They're allowing children to use devices or, oh, it's my calculator or I'm just going to look up this quick fact or perhaps they have school-issued technology with texting capabilities. It's becoming a very slippery slope, and I, and I don't envy the people that are making the policy behind this because it's going to become really challenging to police and patrol and to, for teachers to have to intervene in a lot of cases. And so we're going to see this big shift around it. So as parents, we can take our kids out of that equation in a lot of cases and just say, you know what, why don't you just leave it at home? Unless there's a special circumstance or a situation, you know what? I know how to get a hold of you at the school. Um, I know when to pick you up from practice. I know what time the bus drops you off, whatever it is. If we can eliminate major chunks of time, like sleep, like school, where our children function 
without their devices, I think that's really a service to our kids. Oh, it's huge. So let's finish with your rule 18. Sure. And I love that one. And it says, you will mess up. We will sit down and talk about it. We are always learning. I am on your team and we are in this together. Right? And doesn't that feel like it applies to everything about parenting? It <laughs> does. I love it. It's Thank just you. fabulous. And now where can people find your contract? And is it available? Or I know the book, iRolls. Where can they find your book, iRolls? Let's go with that. Sure. So iRolls, which also has the contract in it, is available wherever books, ebooks, or audiobooks are sold. And also my website, JanelleBurleyHoffman.com. It has the contract in the PDF form that's printable. It has all the information about the book and my blog posts and where I'm speaking, my calendar, all of those things. So my website is kind of the central resource, but you know, all, all book carriers will have iRolls as well. Awesome. And I'm going to have on my show notes, I'll have links to all your stuff. So that'll be available for my audience as well. And this is going to be so great for Christmas, though, because <laughs> I know there's going to be a lot of technology with the new iPhones out, maybe some technology, you know, presents out there. So I'm going to, Absolutely. yeah, I'm going to get this podcast up and running for the audience to have access to it. So it'll be wonderful. Well, and gosh. it's a great conversation starter, too. Even the contract itself, bringing that into the home and letting the kids read through it and getting their reactions and, and making it part of a family conversation piece is also another great way to use the original contract that I wrote for Greg. Yes. So please pick it up, everybody, and, uh, and start the conversations with your children all about uh, technology. Thank you so much, Janelle. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. Okay. Well, that sure was fun talking to Janelle. The show notes, resources, and links to her book will be on my podcast link on my website at PamelaChambers.com. And also, don't forget, sign up for my newsletter, and you can receive my five favorite apps in helping your child develop their emotional IQ. Thanks again, you guys, so much for spending time with me and Janelle, the author of iRules. Looking forward to seeing you again. Until then, keep listening for smart choices for a happier family life. Love, peace, and let's talk. This is Pamela Chambers at PamelaChambers.com. Signing off. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Smart Choices for a Happier Life at PamelaChambers.com. Wishes for you to have a blessed day. Wishes for you to have a blessed day.